What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Into the Friar Ramblings from the Kitchen Podcast. I am your host, Matt Hewitt. Oh, gosh. Today's, uh, this week's guest, Chef Yolanda Monique. Um, she has got an incredible, incredible story. I I was uh, introduced to her through uh, a mutual connection on Instagram. Uh, reached out to her and we had a brief phone conversation before got to know her just briefly she told me some of her story and I was just freaking floored I gotta tell you I think that when you hear uh, how she um, came to get into the food industry and the dreams that she's pursuing uh, as a chef you're gonna be thoroughly thoroughly amazed I don't want to waste any more time I hope that you enjoy this week's episode here she is Chef Yolanda Monique. Peace. Thank you, everybody, for joining me on Into the Fryer Ramblings from the Kitchen podcast. My guest tonight is Yolanda, Chef Yolanda Monique. Yolanda, what's going on? Uh, I'm super excited. Just thrilled to be a part of your podcast. Oh, thank you for joining me. Uh, it's it's a <laughs> pretty interesting story how um, we spoke one other time briefly on the phone before this, but uh, how we got hooked up for those of you that are listening. Um, a, a young lady on Instagram that I started following a while back, really inspirational story. Um I reached out to her. Her name's uh, Shelby Hedgecock. I reached out to her a couple of different occasions to to um, get some advice on how to do some of this stuff, uh, how right. to record and videos and do it. some stuff. And she was really gracious. I, you know, never never imagined that I would get some uh, feedback from her, but um, started following me back. And then I put out a video saying that I was looking for interesting people to talk to and she she sent you my direction. So kind of interesting how how things are starting to work. And and we were just mentioning before we started recording that at forty five and and uh and you know the beautiful young age of forty seven that we're still figuring out uh this technology thing. So it's really cool how it works. <laughs> Shelby's like a daughter to me. So mention that. <laughs> when she when she sent me the information, uh, she visits Colorado quite often. She's my twenty-four-year-old's uh, best friend. They're like joined at the hip. They're Aries. The two together, boy, woo! <laughs> the two Aries together are just oh my god, they're spitfires. But she's an amazing inspiration and has been doing this for some time. So I look to her for feedback as well. And when she sent me your information, it was like I, 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 I took her seriously because she takes what she does seriously. Right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's a it's a way to meet new people, and and uh, I found that um, through doing the podcast, just the human connection that happens when when people are having a one on one conversation is just fascinating. So I'm really I really enjoyed. I would say you probably won't get this, or maybe you will, but um, as a chef, I I was. Uh, I was kind of a steamroll. 
it's kind of a steamroller and very powerful in the kitchen, but I was, I used that at, as kind of a persona to hide behind. And I'm, I'm pretty much of a kind of a reserved person and, and a little bit in, I wouldn't say introverted, but I deal better with small groups as opposed to large groups. So having one-on-one conversations with people is much, much uh, more enjoyable for me and, and getting to know people on a, on, on an intimate level as far as like conversation back and forth really makes it uh, is easier and, and more enjoyable for me. So let's get started. Let's get so started. We had, we, had, uh, we had spoken a little bit and I mentioned when we first, um, when you first had given me your phone number that you have a Southern California area code. So you're now living in Colorado Tell me about the journey from one to the other and uh, maybe where you grew up and what it was like for you. I um, actually was born in Colorado. Okay. I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And my family uh, moved there when I was a little girl, about three years of age, to L.A. Um, my grandmother uh, on my mother's side and my dad and, of course, my mom, they all moved to Cali. And so Cali is all I knew. And I grew up there, went to several different high schools there. I lived everywhere because that was just the dynamic of my family constantly moving. But um, we, I ended up in San Bernardino when San Bernardino started booming, like when it just started, you know, mm-hmm. growing. Uh, and, and it was cheap to live there and everybody was moving there. And so I ended up in high school at Cajon High School and graduated there. And uh, I went to... Pasadena City College. Um, so I go back and sure. forth. <laughs> sure. Well, Pasadena's my love. That Pasadena's absolutely gorgeous. So that's where I've always wanted to, you know, kind of migrate back to eventually. Mm-hmm. There, uh, it's very expensive to live there. But for a brief moment, I went to Pasadena High School. It's my freshman year of high school, and I love the area. And that's where I fell in love with Pasadena. And then we moved, of course, to San Bernardino up graduating from there but I said I'm getting back to Pasadena so I went to PCC for a little while and ended up getting married very young I got married at uh, 19 or you you know it was the husband and wife we moved in together we got married four years later but we were cohabitating and you know um, that was in Monrovia California and I lived there for a period of six years and once he and I we just outgrew each other we just outgrew each other. We got past being 19, and what you like at 19, you don't at 20. You know what I mean? You try to grow together, but what you like at 20, you don't at 25, and you don't really come into your own as far as what you like until I say you're 40. Well, you know what's funny? It's funny that you say that because um, I've, I, I have a brother and a sister, but my brother is uh, about 11, almost 11 years older than I am. And I remember when I was younger, he was like, He's like, dude, just be patient. And I know you are feeling, you know, a certain way about people now, but he's like, you'll just see, you know, and he said that same thing about, he's like, at 21, you've, Mm -hmm. you're, you're different from 18. Like it's a big change, like from 18 to 21, like mentally it's a big change. And he goes, and then, and Mm -hmm. then at 25, it's another big change. And then 30 is a big and, and it, 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 he was like, it'll just kind of happen and, and you'll see like both people 
in in the relationship will change at those times and they're either gonna change together and or right apart. right and it was just really sage coming from someone that didn't have necessarily the most successful relationships that i had seen very very sage advice so i understand what you mean that, yeah so i we i went i divorced we divorced in california was really hard with me having children to uh support and so on out there and my roots were here i was born in colorado and my father and brother had moved here and I have a whole slew of aunties and uncles here and family. And uh, he talked me into moving here after I bumped my head a few times trying to make it in Cali. And I moved here about 15 years ago, actually. Oh, wow. 15 years ago. Now, mind you, I was here for the first five were hell. It's like, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> I was so homesick because the Cali and Colorado are two totally different spaces. In yeah. When I moved here in 2003, totally different. Now it's booming. Now that they legalize weed and everything, everybody's moving here. So Colorado's trying to get a little bit of diversity going on, and you know it's 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 an up and coming city. That you know state, it's amazing the growth that's happening. Yeah. Of marijuana, but I went back for one year after I'd been here over a decade because I had an opportunity to do so, and I wanted to go be older daughter who is in college out there. I wanted to go be in her business. And <laughs> I couldn't get her to move here and I wanted all my daughters together. So I took an opportunity in 2016 to move to Cali for a year. And California, I've been gone over a decade. I visited, it's different yeah. visiting. It's yeah. really, move back when you literally move to try to establish and get on your, get your foot. That was crazy. That year was crazy. I couldn't wait to get back here, and I never thought I'd say that. You can take the girl out of now, did you did you move, did you move back to the same area, or were you in a different area? Yep. Oh, uh, in Cali, mm -hmm. yeah, Upland, uh, Upland area, San Bernardino. My kids went to my old high school, <laughs> <laughs> nice. and it looked the same. I was like, "Dang, did y'all do any upgrades up in here?" <laughs> Cajon High School has not done any oh. upgrades. That's cool horrendous and it looks the same the same green wall i walked through there and it was like a scary oh, movie. I bet. I bet. <laughs> Walking through, i was like oh. all of my adolescents all of my teenagers came rushing back to me because there's just been no change but yeah i moved to the same area uh, my old stomping ground and i tried to find my way i started working at 24-hour fitness because i do enjoy fitness and that was a big deal for me uh, that's how i kind of got into sports nutrition which i'm sure we'll get into a little bit later as far as what i specialize in and that's it i said i can't it was a year when they started wanted to charge me two thousand dollars for rent and i had bars on my window and no refrigerator right. <laughs> <And> <laughs> right in the hood i was like no the hood is different here in colorado where you still can go out you know what i mean they they call this the hood but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I actually live in a beautiful home now and in a beautiful area, but I've lived in the hood out here compared to Colorado, and it was like night day. I was like, please, you can still park your car and leave it unlocked, and it'd be all right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I. I but you want three thousand dollars for me a month for that? You know what I mean? Like the rent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
970 square feet, Matt, 2000 some odd dollars. Oh, I, I, uh, I grew up in Long Beach and I moved out to, uh, my family and I moved out to Utah about six years ago. And it was like, I, I just, I mean, first of all, the way I lived life, I never thought I would ever buy a house. I mean, I just, I was pedaled to the metal. I mean, like if I wasn't drinking coffee, I was probably drinking a beer and smoking weed. And I just, I mean, it was like a, you know, kind of just worked hard and played harder and uh buying a home my brother and i would discuss this and uh, you know i was like that was something for other people that was an idea for other people and thank you but i'm gonna just live my life over here and have fun so i have you know i have two i started way late in life i have two small children a six-year-old and a three-year-old and um we we my wife is from here but we moved out like six years ago and I, I bought a home. I couldn't believe that, but I was talking to my brother and he, and he's, he's very big into statistics. And, and I was telling him because I, where, where I grew up, I mean, Long Beach is very, very high rent, astronomical home prices. And I said, well, we've got four bedrooms and three, you know, just kind of going through. And I told him the square footage and he just said two words, F you. And I was like, (laughs) 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 I just, I just, that's right. You know, I mean, I know he was happy for me, but he was like, he's like, that would be like, you'd have a one point something instead of million, you know, like if you were doing that in Long Beach. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I couldn't, and and that same thing, like I we go back and visit all the time, and I couldn't imagine. I mean, I w- if if the opportunity arose, I'd probably take it. But I mean, I love I love Long Beach. I love Long Beach. And then before before we moved, we lived in North Long Beach, and I and I mean, like literally, I I would I could be in Compton in like two minutes. And I mean, you know, but there's a there's this weird area of Long Beach called Bixby Knolls, and it's like the way that Long Beach evolved was like a nice pocket and then as you go out you're kind of getting kind of shitty neighborhood and then a nice neighborhood and then but but uh my favorite my favorite freaking barbecue place that i've ever eaten at is in compton well i think i think they've moved i think they've (laughs) since moved into the grove and the and the compton location is no longer there but they it's called blood says barbecue and they do some shit Yes, you can get some really amazing food. That's the one thing right there in yep. the hood. Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. Oh, yeah. They have some amazing, amazing food. It's one of my favorite places to eat when I visit. In and out first. Oh, though. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, so I, there, there's like three in and outs here near near where I live. So I'm like, people people always talk shit about in and out. And I'm like, if you don't know, you don't know. If you didn't grow up in Southern California, you just don't get it. You don't get it. That freshness and that amazing taste, you can't get it anywhere else. It's not a McDonald's burger. That's for day comes. Yeah, no shit. Right? No shit. <laughs> it's, it's totally opposite. And I hit, I hit that spot up first. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, I always was lucky, like, throughout my career, I became fluent in Spanish. And then I always tried to treat my my kitchen staff guys that were like my my go-to guys and my homies like treat them really well and 
to the point where they would call me up on Sunday mornings and be like, Hey, Hefe, let's go down to, we're going to go to Wilmington and go to the, to the Birria, which is, you know, I mean, if you're familiar with, with Birria, um, like the, you know, goat soup, it's like a stew that Mexican in Mexican cuisine is excellent. Um, but they, you know, like I'd walk in and I'd be the only white guy and, you know, just, but I, I always took pleasure in going to the places that no one, none of my friends would go or no people that I associated with would go. They'd be like, yeah, I'm not going down there. All right. Well, I heard there's some really great food over here. So I'm, I've got a reason for going and I'm, I'm going to go do that. So you, you enjoy your boringness and then I will, I will do what I need to do. But. That's the beauty of being a chef. You explore different cuisines. Like I'm exploring in ways that, because I'm in culinary school, I'm currently a student at Auguste Escoffier uh, out of Boulder, Colorado here. They have one in Texas. And Auguste Escoffier, uh, history-wise, was this man who revolutionized the kitchen and brought in the brigade and brought in order in the kitchen. So, you know, like I... From what I understand, it used to be that all this food would come out back in the day at once. It didn't matter what order it came out in. It would just be all this food. August Scottier was one who organized that and said, no, here's what we'll have as a, you know, before dinner. And then here's what we'll have, you know, appetizer-wise and then dinner. And then, the, you know, the main course, you know, all of these different. And he also um, created the chicken, the bouillon cube and all of that good yeah. As far as I know, I I was not a I was a I was a roll up my sleeves dishwashing, bus boy delivery driving guy, but I did have some people that came to me once I became a chef, an intern for me from you know that were like finishing up their their stuff at culinary school. But what I understand, and I think I have somewhere lying around in my stack of cookbooks, an Auguste Escoffier cookbook. But from what I understand, he's the father of modern cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to have this experience. I've always been uh, very naturally gifted in the kitchen. My grandmother brought me in the kitchen when I was five. Right. And I did, I, did I tell you that well, story? We, we touched on that, and, and, and we can get right into it. Because my next question was going to be, how, I mean, I, I'm really interested and curious to know what you did professionally up until now because i mean if normally culinary schools are about a two-year program is that right uh, okay so so i mean you have you have this whole life of career and then and then you're like i'm gonna become a chef like that's a that's a for me a scary huge leap like really getting out of your comfort zone so let's talk about that like what what were you doing before and then and then what kind of called you back and brought you back to the kitchen I was <clears throat> raised by my grandmother um, and I don't mind sharing my story because this is the first time I'm doing it is with you and uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel but it was pretty dark for me as a child I grew up in a very abusive home environment, and my grandmother was my saving grace. You know, she'd come get us out of that mess, and she showed me love, and she nurtured me in a way that, you know, I, you know, I, I received love from somewhere, thank God, 
because that's been why I'm still here today. But <laughs> at five, I can never forget it. I promise you, Matt, it was really scary for me because she came in the room. And I think it was because she, looking back, my grandmother prepared these elaborate dinners. She loved to entertain. And she would entertain. She had a nice size house in Cali, back when houses were affordable. Um, <laughs> 10 to uh, 20 to sometimes 25 guests just on GP, just because, just, just to do it. Like, I just want to entertain. I want to have my friends. She loved that. Friends and family over and all that. She laid out a spread, but she baked. She did it all. I'm talking from scratch. The roller pin out, the, 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 the plastic thing with the circles, as far as how you want your pies to look, whatever the measurements right. were. That will get, that's a funny story there too. But at five, she came to me and she said, you want a husband someday? And she gave me this look and I was like, boys, what the heck are you asking me? What? No way, cooties. And interesting enough, she looked over at me. She goes, you will someday. And she said, get your ass in here and learn how to cook these drinks. I was like, okay. Now I was in awe of her because she's beautiful and she always looked glamorous in the kitchen. And I wanted to this is the way I could be in the adult business. You know how they say, get out of grown folks' yeah, of business. Course. I could be all in the business if I'm in the kitchen because that's where it went yeah. down. The kitchen in my home as a child was the art. And so sure enough, she brought me in and she start, I started, now that I know the terminology, as her sous chef because she needed the help. So I did the grunt work. I was picking greens and cleaning them nasty ass chitlins. Uh, I walked around smelling like a chitlin for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> she would bring these things in there by the trough and be like, uh-uh, and you had to clean them. She made me double clean, scrub, oh, and yeah. really get them clean. And I was smelling like a chillin' forever. And cutting, she gave me a knife at a very young age and said, this is how you dice an onion. This is how I want it to look. And, you know, uh, the different dice sizes. But it wasn't, she didn't have, what was amazing, Matt, is she didn't have a culinary degree. This was just what she did, and amazingly so, like a really true gift, like a singer who has that amazing voice that you just know that wasn't taught. Her gift was baking and cooking. Right. And so eventually she trusted me to season her greens. She was like, all right, now be careful with that salt because once you make a greens too salty, there's no turning yeah. back. So, and there was no measurements, which that's interesting even with me being in culinary school. I'm like, oh, God. But yeah. She let me season, you know, she, she let me grow in the kitchen with her um, and trusted me with more and more responsibility. I've been burnt as a child trying to do super stuff, like fry bacon for the first time, had the pan in my hand and the grease went running down the pan and burn my arm and all. <laughs> she was like, that's how you learn it is what it is. But yes, she was my Nana. I called her Nana. And so she was the introduction to me being, Falling in love with cooking. It was all about, at first, just me wanting to spend time with her because I was an honor. Sure. She, she would have a drink in the kitchen. She guessed it. She liked Johnny Rock Walker Red. Okay? So she'd have her little glass, and she'd be in there cooking, and she'd play the music, and she'd educate me. She'd talk to me about how to be a woman and while we're cooking and what it means to take care of a house. And people would come by on a regular day not to hang out all night, but because she cooked, we only got to have fast food one day out of the week. That was our junk food right. day. I, I can have McDonald's or something like that. But mostly it was 
for three meals a day. That was what you did back in the day. We had a well-balanced, but even if it was just oatmeal and toast, we had breakfast, we had lunch prepared for us, we take it to school, and then we had our dinner. And everybody always knew in the family, because she was kind of the glue that brought us together, that they could come over and be like, what you cooking, Bernice? And she would have a plate. She, you know, she'd have enough. You just popped up on us. And that was her nature. And she loved it. And she thrived. And I picked up on all that energy. And I absorbed it into me. And I just love, I fell in love. And I, growing up though, what I wanted to do was be an actress. And not because of L.A., but because I really felt that that was my platform. Because one day, I'm going to be Linda Carter. And I took acting, and she invested in me. My grandmother invested in me. She put me in modeling schools, acting schools, whatever it is that I wanted to do. Dance school, I fell in love with dance more so than I did taking pictures. So I knew I was going to be on stage with Janet Jackson or Paulo Edu or, <laughs> or something. Right, right. And I was going to be doing plays because I, I had this thing about me where I'm not shy and I just light up on stage and it was my outlet. I never was thinking about the chef thing until I said, you know, as I got older, like, okay, acting will segue me into being a chef. They'll be shocked that I can cook and that that's how I will get into that. And I'll own a restaurant. My Nana's kitchen will become something real because I have this thing with soul mm-hmm. food. She's from Shreveport, Louisiana. So I've got some authentic, down home, dirt, dirty south. Sure, sure. <laughs> so food recipes yeah. that you can't really get anywhere. People try to call themselves so food restaurants, and I'm not dissing anyone's hustle, but uh-uh. There's a difference when a southern grandma's in the kitchen cooking this cornbread and these greens and these things. And that's what I've learned. So I, over the years, chose love and had some marriages or two or three. And... <laughs> totally just messed up the relationship aspect of my life Um, and chose that before acting and modeling and just my life took this different turn then I had a family I had children so corporate America you know I had skills I had to work I wasn't thinking that I could actually even accomplish my dreams because of how I was raised tragically my grandmother was murdered um, when I was 17 she was shot and killed so that was a very critical stage in my life as I'm transitioning into being a woman. Now, mind you, throughout my childhood, she talked to me about things that I was like, uh, really, Grandma, we having this conversation right now? But I get it that it was necessary because she wasn't going to be here for me throughout this time in my adult life. So she'd sit down and talk to me, give me them lectures about boys and, you know, your worth and you better not give up the cookie and, you know, and all this. And I'd be sitting there looking at her like at 10, what are we talking about? But okay. Okay. Soaking it in. And so 17, she was, she left me and I was so lost that I, that fire in me, that tenacity in me to go and audition and stuff. Cause she was the one who believed in me. She saw something special in me and invested in me. When she left, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. I, I, and I tried different things. I even took dance class at 18. And, but my fiance at the time was like, oh, you know, that's something. That's not going to pay you. And of course, with me not having anyone now to really say, go for it. You know, I backed down. I would get, you know, 
I stopped. I will pull back and then go, okay, well, I saw myself through other people's eyes rather than my own. And I didn't have that strength and that belief with sure. myself that was necessary to pursue an acting career. Without her, I wasn't that. So all these years I struggled with depression and PTSD and all these yeah, one thing that never left modeling, acting life, one thing that never left me. I kept the traditions alive with my family. Sunday dinner, it goes down. No matter how sad, no matter how depressed, Sunday dinners, it goes down. I, my kids, matter of fact, they, they get the sign, what are we cooking? They, that's, that's what I was used to growing up as a kid was my grandmother's Sunday dinners and and I wanted to keep her traditions alive, even though I was very sad and missed her so much. And I felt this huge and tremendous loss because she was my best friend. She was my person. And yet I would still do it for my children. And so being a chef came to me when I started, when I was at work, I worked in call centers and places and I'd be bringing food and people smell. And they're like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, you know, I cook this and that. You cook that? And then I'd be like, oh, a pot and potlucks. Oh, and I would always volunteer. Sure. Okay. What do we? What do we? You know, I cook that, and then people be coming to me like, "What are you doing here? What in the world? <laughs> Can you make this for me, and I'll pay right. you?" Know? That's when I realized, oh shoot, oh shit, I can make some money through my food. I can do this through my food. Right. How amazing right. is that? I was, I was wowed, and that's how it started kind of, I got impregnated by cooking for other people with the idea that I could become a chef. And then I just started playing around with different things and doing it more and more and cooking more and more. And just the feedback that I always got was, you should have your own restaurant. You should, you, you, you're a chef. You're, this, this is amazing. I've never tasted greens like this before. I've never tasted fried chicken like this before. And that's how it started to grow. I got on my belly. You know what I mean? That, and, and, but it was very scary because I've been now a single mother. And, you know, it's funny how with your, our dreams will, you know, with fear, how it can make you gravitate towards where you're comfortable. Because yeah. when you're outside of your comfort zone, that's te- really technically where you should be. That's where you're going to succeed most. But for me, I was just like, okay, regimented. No, I don't, my dreams later, when they grow up, nine to five, nine to five. Now I have a unique circumstance because I do have my daughter, my youngest, has cystic fibrosis. And so that was a challenge because, man, man, that disease is something else. But they have different advances in research that are keeping these kiddos and they have a lot more. They live in full lives, but it's still very much a chronic, incurable disease. So corporate America to spit, shoot me up and spit me out all the time. You know, I got fired for more jobs <laughs> than I even want to be honest about, but I'm just keeping it real. Every job, I think there was two, and I've had 20 jobs that I've got fired from for attending. Man, uh, that, that you, you tell me that about your daughter, and it reminds me of uh, a friend that I went to school with um, when I started doing the podcast similar to what I had done on uh, Facebook and Instagram. I, I just said, Hey, I'm, you know, I put out there on social media and I had this friend of mine reach out and she said, I'm doing some really cool stuff with uh, 
with you know cooking and she does um infused meals she's in southern california and she does like she's a caterer that does like infuse like a uh cbd infused cooking and um or you know like she's like it'll get you hired but anyway um that's another story but her <laughs> but she, she was telling me about her son and her son had uh you know extreme adhd and ocd and um that she was working at these jobs and like she would have to leave like she'd get calls from school and she'd have to leave the job and they're finally like we love you but we can't have you and and that is one of the things that made her forge her way into doing what she's doing now it's really interesting i mean just i mean you're telling me this story and i'm i'm like like things are swirling around in my head about about my friend don and um and i can only i mean just remembering her relating her struggles i can only imagine what what it's like i mean i can barely imagine what it's like it's you know her 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 having this illness has certainly humbled me and you know made me really in tuned in in the present as far as like life is concerned you know being so grateful because you know she cannot be you know, and so every day, if she can get up with a smile on her face and she's such a bright light, then I can too. And if I'm teaching her that she can still go for her dreams and she has something that can stop her, then I, I have to also follow sure. suit. I need yeah. to be that example. And this timing is everything too. I had to walk away about a year ago from a position that I was doing very well at, but she was in the hospital. This was the sickest she had ever been for over a month. And so all of my time, you know, whatever was, you know, and I had to have that conversation where they asked me to resign and where I could come back, where I could be hireable, but we need you to resign, you know, pretty much. And I said, you know what, I, I'm doing something wrong here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going against the grain. <laughs> you know, I get fired from these jobs and I just finally looked up to our creator and said, what is it that you want me to do? But I've known all along that my grandmother's recipes weren't there for just any reason. That there's something to this thing and why I had that time with her. Why did I have just that time? The majority of the time with her was in the kitchen. She raised me. My mom was a teen mom. She was 17 when she had me. So of course my grandmother, back in the day, that's what a grandma did. Give me that baby. You don't know what you're doing. And pissed off about it. But she took yeah. care of me. <laughs> she was mad, you know. Like, yeah. when it got pregnant, I told your ass. But I was her love and so she I carted me around everywhere with her however my most my memory my most impactful ones were those in the kitchen with her and she gave me gold like stuff that women today how to make homemade gravy that scares a lot of my friends like look I don't really know how to do the gravy thing I get this you know what I mean I get a bottle or a jar yeah. <laughs> I remember her teaching Thirteen, and she taught me how to make homemade gravy. I started fried chicken. Right. And so those are that I said. Now I, I I've been asking myself, what can I do with this? I have all of these recipes, and I'm talking. The only thing I don't have, and I'll be honest, is baby. I can do some mean cornbread, but she back in the day because it took so much focus. 
would kick us out of the house. Get out. Don't move. Don't run. Don't jump. My cakes, cakes are going right. to fall. <laughs> oh, no. It's silence. <laughs> I think she let me roll out a pie once. And then after that, it was like, okay. So I didn't get the baking aspect from there. And I'm starting to feel less afraid of that with my being in culinary school. Starting to want to incorporate some desserts. Now, I'm not trying to do like she did. And, you know, I don't know, lemon meringue with peaks and everything. But, I, you know, a sweet potato pie every now and again. <laughs> Keep it basic. A chocolate cake. <laughs> a lemon. It just takes time and, and practice. I mean, the, the, uh, I, I, I mean, I grew up, um, around kitchens and around food too. Um, and I had to learn, like, when I started working in kitchens and then got into like cooking full time, I had to learn how to make pastries and how to do desserts. I freaking hate it. Because if, oh if you, I mean, it sounds, if I had to guess, we probably cook very similarly. Like, like I'll look at a recipe and then I'll, I'll take the paper and I'll be like, give me a picture. Like I, I'm yeah. visual. Like if I can see a picture, I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. That totally makes it. sense. But if I just have to look at words and, and like numbers on a page. I'm like, I got a problem. Yeah, that sucks. That's, that's what's awesome about my school. Um, I'm online right now, but I started on campus, but she got sick. And so that it's an accelerated program and you can't miss. So luckily they have an online program. August Escoffier has an online, so I just transferred. It really wasn't that easy to do, but I'm grateful for that it was available to me because I didn't want to quit. You know, I didn't want to make this my excuse to say, ah, okay, this must mean I'm not supposed to do it. So they, it was another door that right. opened. Now, being in school online and being a chef is solely a whole other different thing because how do they taste your food? When I was on campus, the chef was over our shoulder. What are you doing? Da, 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 da. And it was in real kitchen. Like I got to experience, I'm grateful for that experience because you gotta be moving. Yeah. He would give us a time when we got in that kitchen and said, I want this done by this time. The thing was though, when we were in groups and there's a lot of younger people in our class and so on, which is, I think there was one other guy that was in there around my age. And we're there ready to get down and you know these kids are playing and having fun but we're totally still there was a little bit of a distraction so i'm kind of grateful for the online side because i get to just be do me and kind of just focus because he put us in these groups and say okay well you do this part of the assignment and you do this part now i'm in my own kitchen having to do the whole assignment right however how do they taste it how do they know that it's good how do they know that i'm executing this dish the way it should be executed and certainly you have to take pictures on if you're if you're in if you're spending your money you're not messing around either yeah. way you know if you're, if you're in here if you're because you're right it's specific a chef or a doctor or a lawyer or you know what i'm saying you're not just doing this just to be like okay i'm gonna lie and say i, I made this and, yeah. you know because online there's that potential yeah. and you can't do that they want time stamps. They want you to hold a picture up and they want you dressed. I have to literally dress. And on Tuesday, I have to get all dressed up in my uniform and cook whatever the assignment is for that week. This week, we're doing eggs. And poached eggs kicked my ass. I'm going to tell you that. I had to do them like four, five times. 
I thought it was easy because the video. Now, what, back to what you said, though. What's awesome is, is that they'll, 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 they'll attach the recipe, then they'll have a video, which is YouTube. They'll put up, you know, a Scoffier video. I'm so grateful for that because that helps me tie it together like you. Like, it just goes quick. Oh, okay. I'll watch that video more than I read the right. recipe. That's, that's how I, I'm a very visual learner. And that's been helping me. I have A's in my classes and stuff, but it can be challenging because I'm doing things now outside of, right. outside of soul food. Well, and then, I, I mean, I, I can only imagine, too, that, that being, and I, this is probably me just projecting my own, <laughs> my own self, you know, myself, projecting myself onto you, but, like, I get the aspect of like, you're paying for this. So you got to hustle and do your shit. But then I also can understand like to the, I'm not feeling it today. I'm going to phone it in like it, you know, like there, there could be, could be both of those things. I, I found as I got older, like I excelled in high school. All, I mean, I excelled in school all the way up till the moment that I graduated high school. Um, because there was something that I had, I, I, I grew up with my mom and a stepdad for most of the time, both just full on alcoholics. And like, I found, I think at a certain age I could party and that they wouldn't know because I could never reach the level of intoxication that they did. Um, so I kind of use I, I use that, but I mean, and growing up in Long Beach was like a party atmosphere almost all the time. But I played sports, and you had to be a certain level, you know, grade point average to play sports. All of my friends were all of like the like for us, it was cool to be smart. It was cool to like be kick ass and do the best that you could and everything. And then I got to where I was graduating from high school and going into college. And I was like, I didn't, I hadn't lived with my parents for the last, most of my junior year and my senior year of high school. And then I was like, what the hell am I doing? And I remember going to Long Beach City College and I'm trying to play football there. They, you know, they contacted me and said, why don't you come play for us? And I, I was, I was above average in, in that, in football in Long Beach. And, uh, they were like, Hey, we, we, the one thing that I hated was lifting weights. And they were like, we want you to weigh 225 pounds. And I'm looking at myself. I'm like 185 pounds. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I remember I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And then, and then like going through the weight program and like sitting with guys and then coming to the coaches after a certain period of time and going, you know, I played football because it was fun. And this just, is, it's not, it's not. But I, could, I, it, but I guess my point is when I got to college, I didn't have, I just, I couldn't do it. It wasn't the way that it was. I needed, I needed more guidance or I needed more like, you know, there was too much freedom, I think for me. And I, could, I, I wouldn't be able to do, I wouldn't be able to do culinary school if I was going, nor would I be able to do culinary school. if I, Not when I was younger. Not when yeah. I was younger. I, I agree. We have similar stories. I've been on my own since I was 17 because one thing my grandmother did do was give my chances. You know, these are your kids. I want my life. Right. 
So if you seem to have it together, all right, I'm going to give you a chance. So we has a very unstable childhood, uh, my brother and I. We would go and be with them, and then they'd get to fighting like Ike and Tina Turner again. And then she would, you know, come and get us. I went to six different elementary schools, three different junior high schools, and four, no, two different junior high schools and three different high schools. That's the instability. Sure. And that was a very situation type thing. It was a survival thing. And so I wanted to excel at school. I had to. I was told, threatened. if you don't get good grades, we're going to kill you, basically. You, I, we, me and my brother thought we were going to die because my dad would play the role out in front of people that was, okay, I'm a good parent, but behind closed doors, we were just terrified. Right. Fear was the first emotion that I learned growing up as a little girl, primarily, was everything. You know what I mean? I did everything out of fear. I got to clean this kitchen because, uh-oh. You know what I mean? Or I got to do this because, uh-oh. Yep. Well, you know, once they divorced, we were like, yes. That was until 13. They were married 14 years with that toxicity. And then we had already seen much, and the damage had already been. My grandmother did her best to undo it, but she was, she was, she was that grandma, you know, here, you rate and then back with her and then the back and the forth and the back and the forth. When I was 17, my mother was, uh, when my grandmother was murdered, which was her mother, I understand looking back, I couldn't, you know, she, she lost her mom. Stay tuned for more Into the Friar Ramblings from the Kitchen. And so she was even more abusive even at that time. And she put me out. So I got out into the world like you with no, nothing to be successful, no tools. They didn't, you know, other than what my grandmother gave me, but that was more domestic house as a woman because she old school, you know, that's the part of thing. Like, you know, a woman does this. You know what I mean? Because that was the thing. Think about the 70s. I was born in 71. So, yeah, you know, women didn't really have jobs. And so I was groomed in that aspect, you know, having to get out and my parents uh, were estranged and so on over the years. Uh, I, I didn't know what the hell, because you got to work, you got to pay bills. I remember opening up a bank account and didn't understand how, what the, who the hell is, when they asked me for my social security number, I was like, what is that? Yeah. I didn't even yeah. know what that was. I, I, <laughs> So I didn't have my own I didn't have my own social security number until I was like 18. I, I, right, me too. I worked and I would, I I remember getting my first job and I'm like, well, it was actually my second job, but the first job that paid me on a regular paycheck, I remember going, "Hey mom, they they need to fill out this application and uh, they need my social security number." And she's like, "She gave me a number." She's like, "Here, use this number." It was her fucking number. I'm like, like, what? Like, it, it what are you doing? Well, I didn't. I didn't know. I, you know. Like, you didn't know. Well, and uh, never been asked for my social security, before, you know, before. And then, and then, like, I remember something happening like down the road after I had. So my, when I moved out, I moved in with my brother. But uh, my dad was always super supportive but he knew that I, it meant a lot to me to want to stay in Long Beach with my friends and like continue doing what I was doing. So I remember having to do something else where I need a social security number. And I'm like, what the, what the fuck? And like, I had to go like, like, and my dad, you know, like it didn't even dawn on me, but like my parents 
my dad is like the ultimate of like responsibility like he's if i look i, I look at my two parents i'm like how in the hell are you guys ever married ever um because they were so different ends of the spectrum but mine too oil yeah, and water but uh but i'm like neither of you thought to share this well, with like, me like it, the, the impact it will have on my I life. I just did that shit when you were born. Like I thought you just got a social security number when you were born. I didn't even know. I was applying for a job and she was like, what's your social security number? I was like, what the hell? And who's FICA? And who's experience? <laughs> all this stuff was hitting me all at once. I didn't, I was not prepared. And so at, you know, I was lost for a long time and I thought love would fill the void of all my losses to my parents because even though they're living, they don't communicate, they're still uh, dysfunctional people. And so I, you know, could I couldn't, I tried, I would go back and forth with them still like, oh, let's get therapy, let's do the family thing. And, you know, that's not where their mind's at. And just because people have children doesn't mean they're making care. Right. Understand what yeah. I'm saying? Can, yeah. They can make a mess and they, and they were definitely not. <laughs> Parent, uh, with because the, they came from that environment as well, so it was just like a generational. You know, they came out of a very hard. My dad's father was no joke. He had a basketball gift, and t- was wanting to go to the NBA. My dad, my my grandfather was a chronic alcoholic, and my grandmother too. And so they never went to his games or anything. He got a basketball scholarship, but it got real in college because you weren't just going to get passed along because of this gift you had. You had to actually do the work. But in high school, back in the day day, especially black men, if they were, you know, athletes, oh, just, you know, give them an A. Yeah. You know what I mean? Pass them an yeah. and it's no, true. Because uh, it happened to my father. And so when he got into college, I, he, I, he had had me. And so he had used me as so many years. It was so crazy as the reason he didn't pursue his basketball career is because he came home and he didn't want another man raised. But my mother, my grandmother actually told me the truth. It was too hard for him because he didn't have, you know, he wasn't educationally there to deal with college. Athletically, yes. But education-wise, where they were expecting him to do his homework and all this other stuff. So there was that guilt and that blame and all of that associated with my father and I and the mother and I, the jealousy because I had the relationship with my grandmother that I did and that she wished she had had when she was younger and she had not. Um, it, it just, that dynamic has been very painful, but I finally let go and I am living my most best life ever. Like I am totally outside of my comfort zone and I'm scared every day because I'm in culinary school. I'm not working a traditional job. I live in a beautiful home, like, whoa, and things are just, they're just falling in place. But I did a lot of self work to get here too. And get to a place where I believe in myself and my ability as a chef and that I can do this. Oh, I could be a celebrity chef. Okay, so maybe I won't have to do this acting thing where they make me lay on the table to get a roll. I'll just fix you something to eat on the table. <laughs> I'll just cook for yeah. you. <laughs> I won't have to compromise my integrity or my more, you know, compass if you if I, that industry would have ate me up if I had gotten that industry when I was young. You feel yeah. young yeah. and beautiful and impressionable and naive and Oh, everybody's nice. No, I'm grateful that I didn't end up an actress or trying to get into that industry at that young of an age because I would have been on a lot of calling couches. I would have been coaxed 
unfortunately, into that based off of my neediness. Sure. So, Wanting you know, help me, help me. Yeah, yeah. Because I saw myself when I got on that platform solving everybody's problems. My mom's problems, my dad's problems. When I get rich, I'm going to, you know, here, go get a massage. Maybe that'll cheer you up. Or here, let me take care of you. Let me buy you this house. Because it was always the financial struggles. Mom got off into crack cocaine when I was in high school. And I started thinking suicidal. I mean, I had a very troubled childhood. Very troubled. My first attempt at suicide, I was uh, 12 years old. I took all of my seizure pills. I started having grandma seizures because of the stress that I was under at home. And I had petite mom and grandma seizures. And so um, I just had heard enough. If it wasn't for you, my life would be better. And my grandmother would be that solid for me as much as she could. But your parents are just still your parents. You know, at that time, my parents, were my mom and my dad, and my grandparents was my nana. I still wanted approval from my parents and I wasn't able to get that. So I was 12 years old and I had developed this thing of, well, I'll help them by not being there. I, I saw it as helping them. And I took a whole bottle of my seizure pills, ended up at Children's Hospital in LA and counseling and all these different things. So I said all of that because to look at me, because my grandmother would always say, you know, wear, don't be leaving the house crazy. Because no, people don't care for one and for two, that's not going to get you anywhere. So look at me. Oh, you know, she's so well put together. It took a lot to get here. I had a lot of personal pain and losses and traumas in my life that happened that took me away from my dreams and my aspirations. That's why it's so important for me to do this. Now, I still struggle. I still have my moments. But now, because of therapy, I have the tools to where I start feeling scared, then I can work through them better and, and say, hey, uh-uh, Yolanda, you got this. Because I need to fulfill my grandmother's legacy. When she was murdered, she had started her business for the first time. She started a juke joint. She had moved to Alabama. She left LA because it was time for her. Yeah. And we were up My mom got off crack, was a successful flight attendant, and we were living with her in San Bernardino and thriving, and so she felt she could go and do her. She left and moved to Alabama, which I hated and was very terrified of. Kids kind of know what trouble's about. Or I had a feeling something wasn't gonna something was gonna happen when she left. But I knew it was something she needed to do. I got to visit her the summer before her death and in Alabama, and she had a house and she had it set up to where in a portion of her home. It looked like an old um, a juke joint. There was a jukebox. Sure. There was sure. dining, like a diner type situation, the red, you know, yeah. benches and tables. And I was like, oh. and then you go this way and then and it would be her, it was a kitchen and she was, and she entertained and played the blues and she loved the blues. So that was what her jukebox was full of. And I was in shock. I was like, and guy, and people will come over. She had a business. She was doing it. And that's when she taught me how to cook homemade gravy. <laughs> that was on the menu that day. Nice. But yeah, she was doing the thing. So I got to see that for a reason. Now I understand that, you know, I'm in control. 
what I think, say, do, you know, whatever, it, it, I will manifest. So I've got to be careful. I can't say life sucks or it'll suck. Yeah, <laughs> or, <laughs> or I can't do this or you won't do it. <laughs> you know, I had to learn to change my thinking, my verbiage, and all of that in order to get to a place where I finally realized this is what I want to do. I want to fulfill her legacy and become a amazing chef. And 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 do amazing things with my family. That was what she did. That's awesome. Uh, God, <laughs> I am like, I'm amazed. I had no idea where this conversation was going to go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've been wanting to tell my story. I've never had the platform. I've told it to people who are close to me. But no, I, I imagine. I imagine that we could probably go on for another three hours or four hours, and you could just. I mean, tell about your life and your grandmother. I mean, it's it's amazing when the more that I interview chefs and the more that I talk to them, there's so many similarities among people that are drawn to food. It, it, it's mind-boggling. And I told this to someone a while back, and I don't know if it was on one of the podcast episodes or just in conversation, is that I may go and do a study on on just chefs and like personality traits and like, like I have, so I had a problem with addiction. I mean, okay. I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober for over 12, for almost 12 years. Like, but, but uh, like I love to drink beer and I love to smoke weed. I mean, I never didn't show up for work, but I had that rise and fall and rise and fall of like, I had to achieve success and then I, boom, then I'd crash and then I'd work harder to achieve more success and then boom, I'd crash. But like just the, just the backgrounds of like wanting approval, you know, like that's a theme. Like I got off on watching people put food in their mouth that I made and then seeing their reaction. That was, that was me like too. a drug for me. It was a high. Yeah. It's a high. And I took, and I went to, I, I went to therapy and like, I remember talking to my therapist and, and she's like, you why do you, you know, I was super angry. I mean, I got my first chef position at 23. I had no business running. I had no business running a restaurant. I mean, like I had huge chips on my shoulder because I didn't think any of the people that were paying me and owning the restaurant wanted me there. Um, so I had a lot, you know, I had a lot to prove and then I started proving it. And then I was like, my ego grew so big that I was like, yeah, see what I did? Screw you. And, and I went to, you know, my boss was like, you need to go to therapy, man. And I'll, I'll pay for it. But like, you need to go. And uh, I remember like telling the, the therapist, like, okay, so just on an average night, if we did 300 covers, that's about a thousand, you know, 900 to a thousand plates of food. Like, like each person's going to have an average of maybe three. So if they don't like one of those out of the 900 to 1,000 dishes, the whole day is a bunch of shit. Like, it was just ruined. And she's like, that's a problem. Like, you need to, like, why is it, why? And I was like, well, if they don't like my food, then they don't like me. And she's like, that is so stupid. I mean, she this woman ended up becoming a good friend of mine. So... I'm paraphrasing, but she was like showing me like, she's like that, 
is not right. Like that's a, I mean, but it goes back to the addiction thing of like, I'm addicted to that feeling good of changing the way I feel and like would do, you know, just about anything to, to change that. And we have similar stories. That's interesting because we definitely, um, that's me. I didn't have, I didn't start very young. Um, I started my business in my early forties where I got fired yet again. And a friend of mine had said, and I was being evicted. She said, I can come and stay with her. And I don't know. It was like I'd been in culinary school. It just start, certain things started coming to me because I had the opportunity to explore and play with yeah. food. I was also working on getting in shape because I had gotten weight and I had some health issues. And so I was like, well, what is my relationship to food? What am I doing wrong? Because I'm not eating any differently than what I did when I was growing up. Yeah. How is food impacting my life to a point to where, because I'd always been slender, but then I equated it to, well, I'm in my late 30s, early 40s. This is my new body, you know, as a woman and that kind of thing. And I carry, I'm tall, carried my weight well. And yet when I went and had a physical and he said this, you know, I said, I got to do something. I didn't even know I weighed that. I didn't even own a scale to even know what was going on, but it was part of my depression. So I would eat and go home and sleep and, you know, not very active and so on in my 30s. And it just caught up to me. Well, I started studying the relationship to food. And so I started playing with couscous and quinoa and all of these other grains that I'd never even heard of because all black people know is rice, uh, mini rice. And that's it. Or the rice that you have to rinse. I had no idea about all these different jasmine to, you know, all these different beautiful flavored rices yeah. and a polio rice and uh, couscous and quinoa and what whole grains were, what, car what food actually does for us. Uh, eating to live and not living to live. That was what I had to try to figure out. What is it that I need carbs for? What do I need protein for it just started click 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 so i started a business in my early 40s called all-in-one culinary services with a guy who actually had a culinary you know degree um executive chef val crawford in colorado out here is a beast this brother is a beast and he had always been a friend of mine um i'd known him for about a six-year period because i worked at a bank and um inside of a grocery store he was always shopping with his daughters <laughs> And he's just always in here. And I was like, what the? And so eventually he started talking to me and saying that he's a chef and all this. And I was like, oh, you know, then it's like, you're living your dream. <laughs> wow. How are you doing this? You know what I mean? I became fascinated with him. And you know, we stayed friends. And when he saw me posting on Facebook, it was, I said, I'm going to use my roommate, who was a friend who said I can live with her. I'm going to use you as my test run. I'm going to get you skinny. I'm going to help you lose weight because I was doing it. And I said, let's, I'm going to make meal prep. This was even before it was a thing. And I was like, I'm going to do meal prep for you. I'm going to, I'd be up in her kitchen at night making stuff with turkey and chicken and, 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 and tilapia and doing the most. So he saw that he goes, I'm ready. I'm ready. Cause he also worked in a traditional job as well, but he was ready to step out away from that. And he wanted to include me. How honored me, little old me, you want to include me? What? And you're an executive chef? What? So I got to work with him, and then that's when it hit me that, oh, there's knife cuts. 
<laughs> There's a way to hold a knife because he's all in there. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you know, you know, cut the onion. I'm used to cutting the onion the old-fashioned way, and he is all, you know, you know, and, and very uniformed. And so he taught me, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's more to this than what me than what I what I know, you know. I and I'm a beast in the kitchen when it comes to soul food, but there's so much that I just did not know. Terminology, temperature-wise, you know making sure to not contaminate anybody wise. <laughs> I've never done that, but looking back now with what I've learned in school, I'm like, oh Lord, I wasn't supposed right. to be defrosting my meat right. this way. <laughs> right. <laughs> now it's just like, whew. But I decided, I got my, my behind, I got my ass handed to me when I ran that, ran that business because I started a, it was supposed to be just catering, but then sports nutrition came mm -hmm. into play best shape of my life I was on this kick of I'm going to be a personal trainer and I can feed you and I've got you covered from head to toe and so I started cooking for people and a lot of people wanted that because they you know it's hard to get in the store and figure out what to do to be healthy and lose weight and have the time to do that so mm -hmm. I, I thought this will be because catering is seasonal sure. you know sometimes in the beginning of the year and then you know you have Christmas and the holidays and then you have a lull well, during that time, I figured our sports nutrition, that meal prep aspect of things would carry us over. And he didn't necessarily like it because he's a chef. He wanted, you know, how many ways can you make broccoli and chicken? But he did it for me because he wanted to see me shine. That was my thing. So we incorporated a meal prep. We had 21 meals and 14 snacks we were cooking for people. We were undermanned. We did not. I, I was the front of the house, the back of the house, the face, the go out. He just said, don't give me the labor pain. Give me the baby. Right, right. So, with this project of yours, just give me the baby. I'm staying in the back of the house on this. But we would be in this. We went from her kitchen and destroying her kitchen to a commissary. And we got to work in a commissary. And I got to play with convection ovens and all these different things and get it done. Bought a baby, bought a boat. <laughs> Pulling out masses of California chicken, like. 50 on a thing, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Just done, ready. I'm like, ooh, we're ready. We got this thing going. And we did meal prep and stuff. But there's the administrative aspect of running a business. Your costs. You know, I gave people way too many options on my menu. So there were some mistakes that yeah. I made. And we mm -hmm. couldn't hone in. And he was trying to tell me, but I was, it was my baby. And I was, I got that big head, like what you talked about at 23. You know, because we had, we were doing some football players, some you know, I cook for Rod Smith, who's a retired football player. I know who Rod Smith here. is. Yeah, and he didn't believe I could cook. <laughs> yeah, right. He's doing all this cooking. I said he didn't even want to cook for you. Okay, <laughs> this was my idea. He, he didn't want to do this. <laughs> so yeah, I'm the one cooking these, and he just could never believe that I could cook because that's another thing. Being a female in this industry is tough. Being an attractive female in this industry is tough. Yeah. You know, you get you don't get taken seriously at times around the round table because it's like, can she really get in there? And she likes grease splattering everywhere and all this other stuff. So there was that drawback, but our we were grossly underpriced, and it just we were coming out of pocket for food because I just didn't have, you know, it hold like a my menu was too sure. large. Yeah. Couldn't get a grasp, so, so that was where I started. 
you know, stepping into being the chef and on a professional level, getting out, networking and handing out business cards and saying this is what we do and actually getting in the commissary at all hours of the night and me and him just throwing it down. Like we did a hundred meals between two of us every week because we had the clientele. We had five to six people we were cooking for, 14 meals, 21, 21 meals and 14 snacks. We wanted to cover you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. As far as healthy, and it was a good idea, but it was just too raw. Yeah. And then I got scared and I ran back to corporate America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can't. When Rod Smith treated me like I wanted him to invest, so he said, "All right, I'll take the time to meet with you because something about your yam." something about your yam and you know he still didn't believe me I said let me cook in front of you he would not let me cook in front of him I said I will cook in front of you but he would never give me that opportunity and so I asked him to meet with me because I was wanting an investor because so we could pay an employee because we were really under you know me and Bio were yeah. tired mm-hmm. a lot a lot of, a lot of uh, prep we need help and I need an investor we didn't have the credit to go get it alone from the bank or anything. So uh, I met with Rod Smith, and he told me before I met with him, you come with the numbers, and we'll sit down and we'll talk. I showed up with no numbers. And that conversation brought me to tears because he was like, I don't even have to waste my time talking. You can't just come to me and ask me for my money and sit down and you don't have any numbers. It was a great lesson looking back. At first, I thought he was being an asshole. And, and somewhat of, he, you know, to me, looking back, there was a gentler way he could have done that. But then, you know, however, I can't be mad at that either now because if I want his money, he's got to see how that's going to work out. And that was what, what scared yeah. me, math. I, I don't know anything about that. I don't know how to do this margins or what the hell. And did you do your project? Did you do your, your, your homework on your, how you say, uh, around you competitively was happening and did you do that and you know what does it look like in a year and two years how does that how are you going to give me my money back i was like oh god he throwed all this at me and it felt like shark tank and i was like i can't do this yeah. now right then because all i wanted to do was yeah. cook but you just can't do that you have to you have to manage your cost you have to you have to have all of that stuff in place if you're wanting somebody's money you're looking for somebody to believe in you and invest yeah. in you they want to see where they're going to profit, when they're going to get paid. And I don't know how to do that. That intent, when he started talking to me about all that, I was like, okay, this I'm in the wrong league. And I ended up getting married and <laughs> running uh, for the hills, went back to corporate America, divorced. <laughs> it's been crazy, Matt, this journey <laughs> to get here. <laughs> now I'm here and I'm in culinary school and because i got asked that too uh, i draw money too so i asked val when we were in business um do you want to be a mom and pop or are you trying to be you know what are we trying to do you trying to make this money you trying to have you know our first gig was at uh at charles schwab out mm-hmm. here and that's a big company yeah. now it's a big deal that was the breakfast that we did and then we were up in a mansion somewhere. And I mean, because if I get out and get all dolled up and get out here and start networking and I, you know, then I can draw some money to us and stuff. And so 
they were there. There was money around us, but I didn't know how to go about getting them to invest and believe in me outside of what they could taste. But then sometimes I would get asked, well, where did you study? Now, Val had the degree in this yeah. thing. You know, he went to school and uh, I had not. I didn't like that. Because in that, they may not get a chance to taste my food because then that closes them off right off. Oh, you're just a cook, even though very gifted, <laughs> but you're not a chef. Yeah, but I, I mean, I that I understand where you're coming from on that, but there's, I have a, I have a different philosophy of like, my philosophy is kind of like a, a carpenter and a carpenter's apprentice. Like you have someone that's an expert that has been doing it for a long time, teaching you the basics. And then you, you, you get a base and then you just keep practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. And then you, you know, like when I took, when I got my first experience at 23 years old, the guy trained the shit out of me. He trained the shit out of me. But in the end, it was only about a quarter of what I needed to know to be successful. Like, and and not not that he didn't do the best that he could, but there's only so much that you can learn by someone. You have to just get in there and do it and run into walls and like, you know, make mistakes and burn yourself and you know, yeah, cut yourself when you start trying to practice those yeah. knife cuts and dealing with real <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they sent me my knife kit. I was so happy when we got our knife kits when we started school and I was ready because I'm thinking I've had a knife in my hand since I was no. five. I got this. No, no, I don't got this. I almost cut my thumb off. On this yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and still I'm very careful because you know, we have to take pictures of us holding the knife right and actually we have to show our mise en place and that it actually is small dice and we have a ruler that actually has uh, bad to that or uh, small dice, or it has the different shapes. So that and, and the measurement. Yeah, so that you can yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I hate it. Well, <laughs> let me tell you. Can I? People don't talk like that. People don't talk like that. Huh? I remember. I remember having. I mean, unless you work in like a in like some hotel fine kitchens dining. and some fine dining stuff. But I remember I the restaurant I took over was a was a very high end Italian restaurant, and uh, I remember this one kid came from and 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 at the time like when I was working we were we were one of the hottest places in Long Beach and like I remember this kid came from culinary school and I was working and and he's like and I'm like hey just he's like what do you want me to do I'm like well go there's a bunch of carrots and blah 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 and i just just dice them up and he's like do you want right? small dice or brown one i'm like what the fuck are you talking about and he's like <laughs> and i just i just held up my hand and he tried to go through and i mean like i i started to like i was having fun with him and i'm like what I, what huh what the fuck I don't even know what you're saying. And he's like, well, it's, and I just held up my hand and I was like, can you do it like that big? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, good. Fucking do that then. Cause no one's ever going to talk like that in my kitchen. Just that big, just that big. Can you do it? 
week. But hilarious! I but can't. But I mean, like, <laughs> I. That's what I was mad the first day of school. Like, what the? I know how to cut an onion. What do you what? <laughs> or what is this football shape thing you want me to do with this damn potato? Uh, yeah, tornado. Oh. I think that's what it's called. A tornado. I'm 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 grateful for this school experience because it's going to open oh, other doors, and it already no. has. Just to even be able to meet you, you know, because I am putting myself out there as a chef now. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm you know, finally owning who I am completely as a woman in, in my career. And so that's how I was able to meet you and have this opportunity to be a part of such an amazing venture that you're entering into because, you know, I, people want to know the story behind chefs. Like, what, what, what's their story? Yeah. How do they, you know, because you watch it. You watch the Food Network or these programs that show, like, the history. These are, there's some popular shows out there now that are actually allowing chefs to tell their story yeah. and there's been some beautiful folks so for you to be doing this and stuff it's it's inspiring and it's going to just take off and be so huge and i'm grateful to be a part of this but that was because i said i am executive chef You're yeah i eat sleeping breathing and drinking and putting it out there and put and yeah and i've had a couple of catering gigs while in culinary school and i swear i get the bubble guts like a Right before a gig, That's <laughs> my stomach starts turning and I get all twisted up and I'd be like, and I, and I have this in my mind, like it's not gonna taste right, it's just, but right when I get in my zone, right when I get in there, because I, I have to study it. When I study it and then I start doing it, then this other thing takes over. Next thing you know, I've created a beautiful dish that everyone will love and they loved it. I, I'm, I, I know my lane now too. Small dinner parties. Oh, nice. I don't want to cook around your people. I know. I don't want to do big old weddings. That's stressful stuff. I'm almost 50. I'm good. I, I've been there and done that. I like small, maybe 10 to 15 people type of dinner parties where I can be intimate with you. and We can talk. You can come and sit and I can cook in front of you. And that is what my grandmother did. So I can imagine why I have taken to that and love that way. Nice. So I we've been going for a little bit over an hour. So I know I know I know just through trial and error <laughs> that people will probably start to like get bored. Um, but I have to tell you something. So my grandfather is he was I think I when we talked on the phone, my grandfather was a chef as well. And uh he was retired long before I was running around, but some of my earliest memories were of, of him and my grandmother, you know, working in the kitchen together. And like my family always revolved around food. But what I wanted to tell you is my grandfather made the best fucking biscuits and gravy in the world ever. <laughs> he was from Oklahoma, which is not quite, not quite deep South, but something that he did. And he always had a freaking, and your grandmother probably had the same, a jar, like a coffee can. Of just fucking bacon grease. Oh yes. yes, I start keeping it now. <laughs> I start keeping it. I used it in my cabbage mat because um, I I didn't have any broth, and I made uh, some boiled cabbage to go uh, along with a dish that I made a couple weeks ago. 
And I said, I'm going to pop this because I don't want, I didn't want to put turkey meat in there or anything else. I just kind of wanted just cabbage. But how do I get this smoky yeah. flavor? I put yeah. bacon grease in that cabbage and let it cook and let it simmer. Ooh, wee. Yummy. Yeah. So, yes, that can is very <laughs> memorable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sitting by the stove, just thick and yellow. Yep. <laughs> And weird looking and kind of jiggly. <laughs> it was that's that's your magic. That's your yeah. secret right there. That secret ingredient. Yeah, but uh, oh, this has been such a pleasure. I, I imagine that you didn't think you were going to get emotional this evening when we started talking, did you? No. <laughs> I just wanted to be honest with you. I, you know, and because it's true, this was my yeah. Dream. No, it's be here, and this is the light at the end of the tunnel. Like I stated that you would be alone getting to know me as a chef and why this is such a big deal for me right now at this time. Yeah. Her legacy lives on in me and I have to fulfill it. I would be doing her a great disservice if I didn't with all those recipes shared with as many as I can. No, that's awesome. So my manuscript is up and running. Beautiful. I fucking <laughs> love it. I love it. I mean, what could be better, right? Right. It, it doesn't, it gets better and better based off of the same fucking fact. Because I get reminders every day that this is right. This podcast is a reminder that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And stop it. You want that? Because I get like what you said. I'll go and then I, yeah. uh, and then I'm, and then I, uh, and I'm starting to feel it like, uh, right now. But right now, what you've given me is that rejuvenation. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, you go enjoy the rest of your evening, and uh, I'm sure that we'll talk again in the in the near future. Yes, sir. And, uh, yes, I love it. Follow, especially when I yeah, graduate. Yeah, there you go. So uh, I have a I have a question. <laughs> what part of what part? Yeah. Of, we didn't even I didn't even ask you what part of Colorado do you live in. Um, Aurora, Colorado. Okay, and that's that's kind of just a Aurora. suburb of Denver, correct? Aurora, Colorado, and it's right near Denver. It's actually about 20, 25 minutes away. Yeah, my my best friend, uh, I think I told you when we, were, when we spoke on the phone, my best friend lives in Littleton. Littleton. Yeah, and that's a little ways. <laughs> that's a little bit of yeah, a drive. Yeah, and I think since uh, I don't remember where exactly he moved, but I think he moved closer to downtown Denver. But yeah. I'm here in Aurora, Colorado. Cooking up a storm. Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> if I if I, the next time I'm out in, in the area, I'll, I'll hit you up. There's you a couple, better. There's a place uh, in downtown called Work and Class. That's a really fun place to go. Okay, I will definitely. I will let you know how that goes. I'll check right. it out. Well, you have a wonderful evening. Okay, thank you for this opportunity. Oh, you as my well. Pleasure. Bye-bye. What is up, everyone? This is Matt here from Into the Fryer, Ramblings from the Kitchen podcast and FryerPod.com. I wanted to thank you so, so much for listening to this week's episode and any of the other content or episodes that I have put out over the last little while. I also want to let you know that if you are wanting more from FriarPod.com and Into the Fryer Ramblings from the Kitchen podcast, you can find me on most major 
social networking platforms, just type in F-R-Y-E-R-P-O-D. That's F-R-Y-E-R-P-O-D on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and you'll find my silly mug and my my silly logo for FriarPod.com. You can also go to www.friarpod.com and check out any of the blog, blog posts, vlog posts, podcasts, you name it, it's there. Oh, and before I forget, you can find me on YouTube. Anyway, I wanted to thank everyone for sticking with me, listening this far. If you listen this far, you probably like what I'm doing. So I appreciate you. Share this with your friends, Friarpod. Dot com and into the fryer ramblings from the kitchen podcast peace